Romans 3, 1 to 8. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 782. Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. What then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I am speaking in human terms. May it never be. For otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if through my lie the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, as we are slanderously reported, and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may come. Their condemnation is just. Good morning, everybody. I'm glad you guys are awake, because I'm not sure I am. I, 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 I'm going to confess to not feeling like the sharpest knife in the drawer this morning. And it seems like the time change kind of bit me a little bit on that. And, uh, um, and Brent makes up the schedule for speaking. And uh, so he scheduled me on a March break uh, Sunday with a time change. Brent, thank you, wherever you are. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that, with that reminder in place, for those of you folks that are helping me out with a couple of things this morning, you need to hopefully be awake uh, as, as we uh, pr- proceed here, because I'm going to call on a couple of people here as we, uh, as we work our way through our, our message this morning and uh, help me out with a couple of uh, scripture passages. So this is a test of alertness this morning. Hey, how many of you guys have ever, uh, have you ever been in a situation where you anticipated the answer to a question before, uh, you know, before it came? Or you anticipated, like, the argument that somebody was going to make? Everybody? Right? Yeah, I mean, it happens a lot. As a matter of fact, a couple of times recently, uh, there's a, very, a couple of specific situations where I really expected a certain answer, uh, a certain response to something, and, uh, and I was surprised when I didn't get it. I was surprised when I got a different, totally unexpected response. And, and in a couple of cases, I feel like that was probably an answer to prayer because they were somewhat difficult situations. And when you get a good response to something, you're like, you know. Um, but for those of us who have uh, kids, especially, you know, you know what that's like, right? Because you're like, you know what's coming, right? Sometimes before, before, they, uh, before they even give it to you, right? And... Uh, as we start out looking at Romans chapter 3, uh, we're really continuing what uh, Paul's been talking about for the past little bit. And in the past couple of weeks, as we've looked at chapter 2 of Romans, Paul has spent a, a, a big chunk of time here creating an, um, creating an argument, I guess. Uh, not creating an argument. That sounds so bad, doesn't it? Uh, he's not trying to pick a fight, but he's, he's, uh, he's been... He's been uh, arguing that the Jews are ultimately in the same position as the Gentiles when it comes to their ultimate judgment. So he's, you know, gone to some lengths in that that may even almost feel like, oh gosh, is he beating up on the Jews a little bit here? And uh, he explains, uh, explains his position for a period of time, and, and Brent's uh, been reviewing that with us. And I think Paul has probably been in ministry at this point long enough that he anticipates the answer to the, the or the obvious question that's going to come up at this point. So after he spends all this time outlining this position, uh, then the natural question is probably, well, what advantage is there in being a Jew, right? 
And if you're paying attention to what's been said in, the, in chapter 2, you know, the most obvious answer might almost be, well, none, I guess, because it doesn't sound very great. But uh, Paul actually says, no, you know what? There are advantages to being a Jew. Right? And he started, first of all, you know, they're, tr- they're entrusted with the, uh, with the word of God. So, you know, it, to me, it almost has this kind of ring to it of uh, what it's like to grow up in a Christian home. I don't know if this is a great analogy, but when you think about it, what advantages are growing up in a Christian home? Well, it doesn't make you a Christian, right? But there are certain advantages to being exposed to teaching from a young age. And, uh, you know, Paul, Paul does affirm, yeah, you know what, there is some advantage to being a Jew. Now, while that part of the passage is relatively clear, we're using a commentary uh, that, that kind of outlines this series in Romans, and, and uh, I picked up a copy, I was reading through it, and the uh, guy who wrote the commentary says uh, that chapters um, 3 to 8 of Romans chapter 3 are some of the most difficult to interpret in the entire book. Thanks again, Brent. <laughs> And uh, so, I, uh, <laughs> so I, I read that with some trepidation, but I, I took a little time to kind of, uh, to, to, you know, just to, to really reflect on what's being said here. And uh, you know what? There are actually some really solid points that we can take away from what Paul is saying here that are really applicable to us here today in our modern context, okay? So um, What's really going on here, right, is, is, is pretty clear that Paul is answering questions that are coming from an opposing viewpoint. And if you look at this at face value, it, it almost sounds a little bit like an ethics debate, to me anyway, right? Um, because it, it kind of comes to this conclusion or, or this point of, like, do, do the ends justify the means, or, or something along those lines, right? And uh, I have a friend who's an ethics professor, and he loves to dig into little problems and quandaries. And, and uh, recently he popped by the house and uh, Daniel was looking at computers because he wants to have a new computer for going to school. And uh, he was lamenting the fact that a MacBook is so expensive. And my friend says, why don't you go steal one? Daniel, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Why, why shouldn't you go steal one? Morally, it's wrong. Because it's wrong? Yeah. That's a pretty good answer, I guess. <laughs> so then, is stealing wrong? Stealing wrong? Yes? Okay, you sure? Is it wrong to steal a loaf of bread to feed your starving family? Ah. So, some of you are not quite as certain, right? And, um, you know, th- th- there, is, there is that theological question of, uh, you know, do, do the ends justify the means? Um, and, and Paul kind of gets to the heart there of, you know, should we do evil that good may result? Hmm. So what do you think uh, of that interpretation of the passage so far? Is, is this an ethical question that Paul's asking? What do you think? No? Yes? See, what's, what's, wrong, with what, what's, what's wrong with my interpretation of the passage so far? Does anybody know what I, what I missed out on when I, when, I, when I started down that line of reasoning? Anybody? Nobody? Guys, you've got to participate with me. There's going to be a long message if you don't participate. Anybody know what I missed? Really simply, you know what I overlooked? Context. Right? Reading the passage, it sounds a little bit like, you know, that there's an ethics debate. But you know what? We haven't delved into it all is the context in which Paul's writing from. And 
as with a lot of things, you know, context, I want you to remember that word because that's going to be really important for us. Context changes everything, okay? And uh, there's something more going on in this passage. And uh, it's not actually an ethics question at all. It's a theological question, okay? And um, if you uh, look at first verse 5, we actually kind of get a clue as to what's going on here because the question that's being asked is about God's righteousness, right? And if you uh, consider that uh, in the context of the greater passage, what we've been talking about, uh, really it, it seems fairly clear that this question is being posed from a Jewish point of view, okay? So as we begin to understand what the uh, argument, uh, the dialogue that's taking place here, the questions are coming from a Jewish point of view. And Paul is really addressing a very significant issue among the Jews of his day. And it has to do with the nature of God's righteousness. The idea that God's righteousness uh, in the Old Testament is uh, very often uh, tied to his covenant with Israel. Okay? I'm going to ask you another question. No cheating here. Any of you guys memorize Psalm 36? Nobody? Anybody know any part of Psalm 36? Oh, come on. I bet you do. Let me help you get started. Around verse 5. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. What's next? Your faithfulness. Come on. Your righteousness. Your justice flows. That's right. So you do know some part, part of Psalm 36. You didn't even know. There you go. And uh, the uh, and and at the end doesn't quite go that way. But third day had to make the psalm rhyme, uh, song rhyme, right? So, but but it's uh, that that psalm, part of that psalm that really illustrates God's righteousness is very much uh, paralleled with His love, His mercy, and in particular His faithfulness. Now. Um, uh, Many Jews would have followed that line of uh, thinking to believe that God was always on their side. Right? So what's wrong with that? What's wrong with believing that God is on their side? Well, maybe nothing, except there were some problems with the way they were interpreting certain things. And Brent pointed out some of this last week. If you were uh, here and you heard what Brent shared, one of the problems that uh, some of the interpretation led to was that uh, there were Jews that believed that, that they were in uh, no danger of judgment at all. That simply because of the covenant, they were immune from God's judgment. And uh, I won't delve into that in great detail because Brent, Brent uh, talked us through it last week, but that's not a very good understanding of the covenant, is it? And in a similar way, uh, many of them also believed that uh, they would be delivered from their enemies because of the covenant. But that isn't uh, exactly the way things worked out either, right? So there is a little problem here with interpretation, and that was not entirely an accurate understanding. Um, have any of you folks, have you seen the um, Bible uh, miniseries that was on the History Channel? It was... Um, yeah, uh, we picked up the DVDs at Christmas, and uh, we've watched through the Old Testament portion of the DVDs. And I've got to say, it does provide a really interesting kind of high-level overview of the rise and fall of the nation of Israel. And uh, there's a lot of places, too, as you're reading through Scripture, you see, like, uh, with the kings, for example, you know, what, there's a pattern almost, right? There's, like, good king leads the people towards God, good stuff happens. Bad king leads the people away from God, bad stuff happens, Right? 
you know, good king, bad king, bad king, bad king, good king, and, and the pattern, you know, just, it just keeps going. Uh, and there's this continual ebb and flow of the nation of Israel over the centuries. The Assyrians come along, the Babylonians, of course, then uh, ultimately they end up under the subjugation of the, Jew, uh, the Romans, right? So uh, things didn't really necessarily work out, well, super good there, did they? And if, um, if God remained faithful to his commitment to Israel, then really how do we interpret all of the setbacks and difficulties that that nation faced? Right? We have to have an accurate understanding of, of the covenant in order to be able to uh, interpret all of that properly. And what's really important and fundamental for us to realize is that God's focus is not specifically on the nation of Israel or specifically on a covenant or anything except God's ultimate focus is on his own name and his glory. And that is really important for us to remember. Um, So God's righteousness, okay, and this is an important point if you're taking notes, God's righteousness is ultimately his commitment to to always act in accordance with his own character. Right? God is unto himself. And his righteousness is his commitment to always act in accordance with his own character. And you can absolutely bank on that. In, uh, in his covenant with Israel, for example, you know, he did promise to bless Israel, didn't he? But you know what else he did? He also promised to punish them if they were disobedient. Okay? Take, for example, Nehemiah chapter 9. Janice? God is just even when he judges his people for their sin. Or maybe especially because he judges his people for their sin, right? Because he carries through on his commitment. That's the nature of his character, right? It makes me think about uh, the way we often act as parents, right? Sometimes we set out different conditions. If you do this, then, you know, you can receive this reward, right? If you don't do something, then maybe there's a particular sanction, and, uh, you know, you don't clean your room, guess what? You don't go out with your friends, right? And uh, uh, we, we often do this sort of thing, but we're not God. And some, have you ever found yourself as a parent kind of reneging on one of those little contracts in some way or not following through or feeling bad because, oh, you know what? They didn't do what they were supposed to do, but I'm still going to let them go out with their friends because, right? Because we feel guilty, you know? Okay, maybe I'm the only one. Um, <laughs> but that's not God, right? God is ultimately, right, completely and totally just, and he will always act in accordance with his own character. And this is what Paul is writing about here. He's um, trying to give us a clearer understanding of, of God's character and uh, what, what that is really all about. Um, as as he, he mentions in verse 4, right, let God be proven true. 
Okay? We can count on God to deliver on every single promise that he has ever made to us. And really, at this point then, the challenge for us today as modern believers is how do we interpret those promises correctly? Remember what I said earlier about context, right? Context matters. It's very important for us in understanding, uh, properly understanding God's promises and his faithfulness and his commitment to us. Um, in the same way that the, the, uh, the Jews may have erred on, on this uh, you know, uh, concept of, of the covenant and believing wrong things about it, uh, we can make similar mistakes as Christians today. Uh, for example, um, you know, the Christians can make the mistake of believing that every single promise in the Bible applies directly to them. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you think that's true. But if you look at the scriptures, for example... Look at God's promise to Abraham. What did God promise Abraham? Yeah, that was a very specific promise, that he would have descendants as numerous as the sands, that he promised to make him a great nation. Anybody here believe that promise applies directly to them? No? (laughs) You beat me to the question. Does anybody want to? (laughs) Not if you're smart. But anyway, that's another issue. Um, So... You know, that one's an easy one, perhaps, for us to understand that that is something that doesn't apply directly to us. But there's others that are a little more challenging. Um, If if we were to look, uh, for example, uh, at uh, Chronicles. Uh, Brian, you got that one? Thanks, Brian. And I heard, I heard at least one person kind of reading along with you there from memory, right? People know that verse. Uh, you know, I've heard that promise claimed for Canada as a nation. And I have definitely uh, heard Americans claim it <laughs> as a promise for America. And uh, other people believe uh, that that promise applies specifically uh, to the church. But, um, you know, in its specific context, as Brian was mentioning, this prayer is uh, specifically this promise is to the nation of Israel uh, during Solomon's dedication of the temple. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't that doesn't mean that there aren't principles from that promise that could apply to us today. Right. But. The, the simple point I really just wanted to get at with this is that we as Christians cannot go to the word of God and claim promises if we ignore the context and the original audience to which those words were directed. Follow? Okay. Now, still, there are just um, a lot of promises that do apply to us. And um, 
God assures us, and Paul in this passage is really assuring us that every word of God we can count on. We can have confidence that God is going to fulfill every single thing that he has promised us. And you know what? That even comes true, uh, comes to pass in spite of our shortcomings and our failures. Now, we need to realize with our failures that there are times when our failures may in some way sort of qualify the promises that God has made to us. But ultimately, and this is really important, even when we come up short, ultimately, we can always count on God's faithfulness. And uh, if you look at all the examples uh, of people uh, that are mentioned throughout the Bible, we see time and time again how God's faithfulness prevails, right? And a matter of fact... uh, Paul actually, um, Paul actually references the most high profile of these uh, in verse 4. Is anybody looking in their Bible? Did you notice uh, when you read verse 4 that there was a footnote? That Paul's actually quoting somebody. He's quoting King David from Psalm 51. King David, right? And what's really interesting about this is that this is post Bathsheba. This is after the disastrous affair, the murder of Uriah, the, uh, you know, the, the uh, conviction that he came under uh, from the prophet Nathan, uh, the punishment of God, all of this stuff that happened to David, right? And what does David say then? He says, right, uh, so that you may be proven right when you speak and, uh, you, um, and you prevail when you judge. Right? Coming from somebody who has really experienced that. Pretty cool, eh? Um, There's a couple of things that I want us to be on guard for. So this is the application stuff, if you want to take take a couple of things away from this this morning, okay? One of them has to do with uh, a similar problem to that that the Jews experienced, right? Because... There were some that had that false sense of security in their covenant. And many of us today, uh, it's possible at least, and something for us to be on guard with, that we may have a false sense of security uh, as well. Now, as Christians, I want want you to understand, and many of us believe, and I think rightly so, that if we have truly come to faith in Jesus Christ, if we've come come, uh, to know Christ, we can absolutely and certainly count on the fact that we will be with him in glory. Absolutely, beyond question, okay? Some of you have heard that referred to as eternal security or uh, perhaps as um, the perseverance of the saints. But in order for that to be true, you know, we do have to have a proper understanding of the gospel to understand and know exactly what that means, right? And there are, there's certainly the possibility that people could misunderstand the gospel and actually be clinging to that promise and thinking, boy, I'm, I'm secure, but maybe they haven't had a proper understanding of the gospel. And uh, I don't know, again, the example could be maybe growing up in a Christian home, right? Where somebody thinks, well, because mom and dad were Christians, I'm a Christian. Well, that isn't actually accurate, is it? Okay. So we do need to make sure that we don't trust in a promise without fully understanding the big picture. Um, The other thing that's really important uh, that I wanted to touch on is that uh, obedience matters. So even though we can count on God's uh, promise for our perseverance, we do have to recognize that obedience does matter. And uh, Christians, as Christians, listen, we should never, ever presume 
uh, on our security in a way that prevents us from bringing every aspect of our lives into obedience to Christ. Do you have that? We should never presume on our security in a way that will prevent us from bringing every aspect of our lives into obedience. And, you know, the neat thing about this, though, is God gives us all of the resources that is required for us to be able to do that. We, we can do this uh, because we have the empowering and indwelling of God's Holy Spirit, and He's always going to help us. I've tried not to look too far ahead in Romans, but, you know, there's a passage that applies to this, uh, Romans 8 and uh, 12 and 13. So we just need to recognize that our personal commitment and dedication are required as well as our complete and total uh, dependence upon God and the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do it. But this is entirely attainable. Great promise. I kind of want to finish it up with this one from Second Timothy. Greg? The saying is trustworthy for if we have died with him, we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot deny himself. You know, and that kind of says, uh, says it all, right? God will remain consistent with his character. And uh, we can count on every single one of those promises. And uh, coming up... As we uh, gather around the table, we're going to have an opportunity to maybe reflect on some of those promises. Uh, it's something that we can consider and think about all of the wonderful promises that God has given us and how we can really count on those. Now, I realize that I have just scratched the surface of a lot of this stuff this morning. And for some of you, it's okay because you're tracking with this stuff. I know you have been endeavoring in every aspect of your Christian life from day one to bring yourself into line with God's will. You know, you are, you're there and you're trying really hard. But um, I, I also realize that uh, for some of you, uh, you know, we may have touched on some kind of things that, that, that leave you asking questions. Maybe I've actually raised a few more questions than I've answered for you this morning. Or uh, maybe you're in the situation where, you know, I'm not, I've never really felt certain. I've never really felt 100% sure about that relationship that I have with God. Uh, or maybe there's some other fear that's been dogging you that you're not feeling quite sure about in all of this. And I just want to make sure that I leave a clear opportunity here for us this morning that um, if, if, if there's anything uh, that is on your heart, there's just no way to be able to address all of the different uh, issues and, and, and topics that come up from addressing a passage. And uh, the opportunity is, is, is here as it is every week. Before you leave today, if you've got questions, that you can uh, come to one of the elders and you can uh, begin to start a dialogue 
if there are those questions. And we, we want you to feel that you have that opportunity to be able to come and to be able to talk. And we would love to be able to address any of those questions that you might have.